Hey guys, today we are talking about a really cool bonus for our weekly episode, The Thing. We got Escape from New York, amazing Carpenter film from 1981, highly, I think, underrated. I don't think a lot of people have seen this these days. No, especially young people, yeah, which yeah. is a damn shame. <laughs> and it's a very special episode because we have our first guest. We have my uncle, uh, screenwriter Sean Bridges. Hey, how you doing? He's a big Carpenter fan. He's here to chat with us today about one of his favorite movies. And uh, without further ado, I'm Connor Zagari. I'm Austin Johnson. And you are listening to Filmgasm. We are very excited to do this episode. This is one of our favorite movies around, like around this table. We all love this movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it too many times, I can't even, uh, I've lost track. So. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I think I've owned it on tape, DVD, Blu-ray, bonus DVD. I need to get it in 4K now. So every time they put out a different version, I end up getting it. It's one of those lost, you know, Desert Island classics. Yes. It's always in the group. So yeah, it's. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say it's my favorite one, but then that could be debatable for Carpenter. I definitely put him in levels, but it's up there. And I, it's a. Yeah, they've. It's just. It's an absolute classic. Yes. It's one of those films that is always on the top five lists. It switches position from time to time. Sometimes it's the thing, sometimes it's Halloween, but it's always there. That's the thing about Carpenter, though, is you can, like he said, there's levels to him. You can kind of be a fan of him and not necessarily have, you don't have to have a stake in one film. It can be, I'm a Halloween guy or I'm an escape guy, you know. And yeah. For me, I'm a Sultan Precinct guy. So, like, that's, <laughs> it's just different for everybody. It's awesome. That's, what, that's the power of his directing, though. Well, it's, true. it's dated, um, but it still holds up. I mean, it yeah. takes place in 97, which already is, <laughs> yeah. is you know, yeah. uh, came out in 80. 81. 81. So, um, and I don't know, I mean, I, I can't recall, like, the theater, how it did at the box office or anything, but it was one of those that I think probably found its audience, like a lot of Carpenter films on did tape. Did you see it in theaters? No. No. I, I mean, I've seen it in, you know, the Alamo and revivals and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. but first run, we were in Germany. I was in, so, okay. but I don't remember seeing it in the theater. But I don't think it. I think it did okay. The reviews, like the the reviews that came out, Time Time Magazine, that kind of thing. Yeah, it was okay. And then it, a lot of his films kind of have that when they're released, they're kind of dismissed or they don't have an impact, but they never fade. And I think uh, Escape from New York probably was one of those that probably found its audience big time on cable and yeah. VHS tape. Yeah. And then it never. It's just never gone away. Um, it's one of those that that's constantly been brought up for remakes. Uh, we can talk about that, go down that rabbit yeah, hole, but it's... Sure. Um, <laughs> <The> rabbit holes. <laughs> I just don't think, I don't know if they'll ever, I, I hope they've never done it. I know Troublemaker Studios is kind of looking at it now. Um, I think the writer of Luther uh, took a stab at the last screenplay. Um, but even what I heard is going to be, they're going to be, it's drastically different from, from the original. Uh, so it's one of those that I hope they don't touch. Yeah. Especially since every time they've tried with Carpenter, they've just fucked it up repeatedly. <laughs> well, and he even said his, his, when it comes to just Carpenters and remakes, he, he, uh, he shakes their hand, he takes the check, and he wishes them well, and that's kind of his, his connection to them. But, I mean, I look at, like, Assault on Precinct 13, he did right out of college. He was still in his 20s when yeah, he did that. Yeah, yeah, And the remake on that was made in Canada for a 10-time more budget, and it flopped. I mean, it's not any... I, it just didn't have any staying power where the original is one that I'll still go back to. Oh, yeah. Um, Halloween, I mean, how many times they've they've tried. The Rob Zombie ones, I know there's some bad blood there, but I 
I think it, it was it was a it's its own movie the the two Rob Zombie kind of sequels, but it's still I go back to the original every season. Yeah, uh, even the reboot that came out last year I think it was successful because they tried to to reboot the the uh, formula. Yes, yeah. of kind of doing it with a small group of people in twenty something days and. Um, but it's I still go back to the original. So I think Carpenter in, in a lot of ways, yeah, they, they it's just his style, they they can't really touch it. And Escape from no. New York is just one of those that I it, you know, it's it's still just as riveting. I think the thing that gets me, I remember printing out the script and realizing how, how threadbare it is. There's no fat on that script at all. And <laughs> no. the lines are actually if you really look at the dialogue, it's two or three words, that's it. There's nobody really doing any monologues or anything in that script. It moves no. like lightning. Uh it's a very simple premise. There's all kinds of little Easter eggs we can talk about like that's um that's Jamie Lee Curtis, his voice at the very beginning talking about the you know, the Manhattan Island and where the wall goes around and that I think it's uncredited. She's not in there. It's just one of those that <laughs> I always thought it was Deborah Hill, but it's Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, I did not know that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Frank Doubleday, who was the actor in uh, Assault and Precinct 13, he was really the first Terminator before the Terminator, the way he played it. He played that role mute, I think. I don't think he has a line in Assault and Precinct 13. He plays Romero yeah. in Escape from New York, which is a nod to George Romero, which is cool. Uh, the Doctor's a nod That's to amazing. David Cronenberg. So I yeah. love that, that he was given <laughs> nods to his peers. But um, there's all, kind of, all kinds of things we can talk about. I mean... Uh, Kurt Russell, when he read it, wasn't sure where to go with this. Yeah, with he the told idea. me that. Yeah, I love that. That he had thought, well, how am I going to play this guy? And then when they cast <laughs> Lee Van Cleef, he was like, oh, I'll just Clint East with this. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. When you see the uh, the scene with them, their first meeting, I mean, you could take that scene and put it in a Leone Western, and it would kind of work. Just the badass <laughs> kind of conversation between the two guys across the table. Just the banter, yeah. Uh, and his kind of, he's even squinting when he's, do, if you watch the scene, he's totally Clint Eastwooding it, sitting yeah. there at the table, lighting the cigar. I even think it's a Clint Eastwood cigar that he lights, kind of <laughs> like one of those kind Black of old. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what he, he smokes in that scene, but it's just, uh, it's awesome. Um, Lee Van Cleef's wife said the most difficult scene for him was the helicopter, when the helicopter lands, when they go to New York, um, there's a scene where he walks, it's a steady, it's a, a long camera track, and he w leaves from the helicopter and walks, you know, and I guess because he had so many incidences as a, as a Western actor falling off horses and just issues with, that was the most difficult thing for him wow. to do, and you can see him kind of limping, just that was in the scene walking across the, you know, into New York. Um, Frank Doubleday, again, is our intro to the prisoners, yeah. yes. and he sets the tone yeah. immediately. You get everything you can from that you know, brief, if you're not in the air in 30 you know, seconds, he dies, and countdown, and just his whole look, attitude, demeanor, totally sets up that this is well, yeah, going to be a wild world. There's no time, the audience, us, there's no time for us to really think about what's going on. Yeah. Just kind of accept it, which, kind of which is how it. I prefer. Yeah, yeah, That's how I prefer a film to start. So, <laughs> Well, and just even sci-fi, they lay out the rules real quick. Jamie Lee Curtis lays them out real quick. This is yeah, the deal. Yeah. It's a prison. This is where it's at. Nobody gets, you know, once you go in, you don't come out. Boom, story starts. Mm -hmm. I liked it that they're, um, if you get the sound, it's the only soundtrack that I like have of his complete that I love every kind of cut on it. I'll get Bits of, of John Carpenter's scores, but the uh, Escape from New York soundtrack, oh, it's bar none. Unbelievable. Um, weird Robert Rodriguez connections. Uh, there's a poster for Escape from New York, one sheet in the kitchen at Troublemaker Studios. <laughs> Just a weird little thing. When they were shooting Grindhouse in between cuts, he would play the soundtrack for Escape from New York to kind of keep the vibe going. Hell yeah. That's what he kind of wanted. So he's a, it's, I think it's one of his favorite movies. Uh, he's a giant fan. 
um, yeah, it's it's uh, trying to get more like kind of little obscure things about that movie that's just. Donald Pleasance, the idea that, cool. that he plays yeah. the president is wild. And he even said, well, why me? He's like, why would I be the president? I still say that. <laughs> well, and Carpenter it's said, well, genius, look at though. it as like, um, he's like, if, it's like if Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher had a kid. <laughs> and he bought it and he said, okay, yeah, that's, that's how we'll do it. And I love that. Oh, the, yeah, I was going for the, um, on the score, there's a bank robbery cut. And there was a scene that initially started off the movie that they shot. But it never, I mean, I've seen kind of deleted scenes and it's, it's Snake. And I think Frisco Bob is the character that they're robbing the federal depository. And you see them kind of come in in janitor outfits and they take off. And it's basically a bank heist. And they rob it and, and they go down to the subway. I think it's the idea it's a subway that connects East Coast to West Coast. Um, it was probably the L.A. abandoned subway where they shot it. And then um, they get Snake, you know, the police force, they kill Bob get snake and then the movie kind of starts and that to me is where the line where he's talking to brain and he's like you know what they did to bob because i never knew what the hell that yeah. meant and it's like that's what <laughs> yeah, that means yeah, bob yeah. gets shot at the beginning that they killed bob um, damn it bob little little things like that that just uh you know the, the idea that it was filmed in there's two you know they did two days in new york on man on liberty island the statue of liberty yeah i read that yeah uh you can see the seam uh, how he cut it, and then Sepulveda, Sepulveda Boulevard, Sepulveda Boulevard, and I'm not sure where they where they filmed the um, actual like outside the Liberty Island police station. I guess it was all filmed primarily inside the prison. Was in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. there's a burned yeah. out section of St. Louis that Crazy. they had the city turn off all the electricity and power. Then Dean Cundy was able to light it with fires, and and I love the you know things like that are amazing. Incredible. Um, Wow. Let's see. The um, there were no computers, so the computer graphics were all New World. Uh, they went to New World, which was James Cameron who did the computer graphics for that. So, the idea that when you see the uh, the glider, the computer graphics that you would think now would just oh that's a computer, but then they didn't even have computers, so you know nothing that was readily available to home viewers or anything. So. They, uh, they he created that as a map painting. I think map paintings, and I think he created a city. Uh, I'm not like exactly how they did the effect, but it, it, it was, you know, homemade. Um, and that throws back to his Roger Corman roots, I think, at New World. But it still holds up that that uh, kind of flying, the glider flying in scene where they, you know, that's how you're seeing Manhattan, what it, the, the digitized yeah. buildings. Um, scene at the beginning where the plane crashes. I remember watching it again, the idea that it was a woman terrorist. I love that. That, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't, have, that wouldn't have been common in the 80s, but oh, that they no. threw that in. Still not common now. Um, one of the guys on board the plane is was President Gerald Ford's son or nephew, which blows me away. Wow. He's in the credits, and he wanted we'll to be in the movie, so they're like, "Yeah, come on!" And they put him in as a <laughs> Secret Service agent. I think he's a Secret Service agent that's hitting the door with the with the uh, machine gun, huh. and then it's like, you know, we can't get in. They pressurize the door. I think that's Gerald Ford's nephew or son, but somehow he's connected to Gerald Ford, which is wild. Um, <laughs> The terrorist woman, yeah, that that just the fact that it was they cast a woman in that role was was something you probably didn't see in the or, you know late seventies, early eighties. So that stood out as as just kind of a, a unexpected twist. Um, the plane crash; they they couldn't afford to literally crash a plane, so they created again a computer image of it. They bought a a old uh, plane, cut it up into thirds, and then stuck it. 
in St. Louis, Jeez. and then they filmed around it, lit it, and filmed around it. So it was one giant set, wow. and that's where Snake Plissken kind of gets to the point where he has to sit down. He's, he doesn't know what to do, and he grabs a chair and just sits in the middle of the rubble. <laughs> it's like what in a lights a cigarette. Like what the hell am I gonna do? And then the. Uh, that's when the crazies come out or something yeah Yeah. and so it's it's one of those that i can kind of almost recite it's scary (laughs) how uh little nods that i like that like everybody's stellar in it Uh, charles cypress is in it who was in salt for precinct isaac hayes halloween isaac hayes kills in that role that's my favorite character man i fucking love that character (laughs) well and he was what he was truck turner i mean he had done in some cinema he was you know shaft yeah theme song of course but um I, there's a little twitch that he does whenever he's talking that I don't know if they said do that or if he just decided to do that for the character, but it just makes him completely badass. Um, yeah, he's a little unhinged. There's yeah. times where I think he's going to say something, and I think that's what you're saying with the fat. There's no fat. Instead, he just punches him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> he like, knows he's a badass. He doesn't <laughs> have to you. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. That's that, um, <laughs> Hell, you can talk about Ox Baker, who yeah. was a wrestler who hadn't been in movies so didn't understand stunt work so he was really hitting Kurt Russell full bore yeah, and you yeah. can see you can Kurt tell. Russell's really holding on you can like, tell hey man you know <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be fake and then I guess uh, he did not want to have him uh, hit him in the head with the spike at the end when the tables turn when Kurt Russell is going to kill him yeah. he was really nervous that okay this was going to be payback for like <laughs> screwing you know, beating the shit out of him for, for the last I remember they were filming that um, what a scene! I have you ever seen anything anything like that? I, I haven't a, a baseball bat, basically a duel inside of a, a ring. Yeah, it's what? gladiators. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, even the the idea that that they the prisoners put on their own Broadway show. Yeah, what I love the that. Fuck yeah, it's awesome. And that was written by Nick Castle, who's the shape. Oh, yeah. so Nick he Castle's, did the, you yeah, know, yeah, that. Yeah. they go back a long ways, and and uh, I think Nick Castle kind of. I think Carpenter said that yeah, he basically wrote that whole. New York kind of gazoo song mm-hmm. that they do. Um, God, it's just so much. There's so much to it. That just, Harry Dean Stanton, who is not a guy who, uh, I mean, if you look, listen, read, listen to his random roles on the AV Club where they interviewed him about 100 movies and his responses are, yeah, I liked it. No, yeah, I liked it. But he actually liked John Carpenter. He's like, yeah, he was a cool guy because Harry Dean Stanton was not, he hated sci-fi, he hated horror. Mm-hmm. That's what he said to Ridley Scott for Alien. So yeah. I was like, well, why is he in this? But I think he just... Liked working with John Carpenter. With Carpenter. He worked with him again in Christine. Um, it's it's a killer role. I think Brain is just uh, he really just milks it as this kind of a everybody everybody has their moments, you know. I mean that's what it, what yeah. it, I go back to. I think uh, Tom Atkins, who's a uh, actor out of uh, Phil, uh, Pittsburgh, absolute badass. I mean, and you know went on to uh, play the lead in Halloween three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, lead in in the Fog, yeah. but. Um, I guess the fog was pre fog was came first before escape, but um, yeah, just his his description uh, about the crazies and you know uh, some have street lights, how they get gas. Everybody just has their moment to shine, and I love that. Where a carpenter script, there is no there's you've got lead actors and secondary actors, but he takes his time that there is no like minor character. Everybody, yeah, you know, has their moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that always stood out to me. It always feels like every all the actors are on are totally on board. They're they're totally there for Carpenter and like want to. His vision is. I don't know how much money was spent on this movie. Do you guys? About six mil. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Well, he he was he's known for I think 
if you look, even the nods that he gave to his peers, so George Romero yeah. and David Cronenberg, and those were guys that I think you know worked with, have a loyal crew base, cast yeah, crew base, yeah, people yeah. that want to work with them. This was, you know, he had done Halloween on a nothing budget with a you know, yeah, everybody know. pitch in kind of attitude. He did The Fog, and that was kind of a film that was made in post where they shot it and then tested it, shot it, and filled it. You know, it took a while to get to where it's still one of my like all time like Halloween go to movies. Um, I love the I love the fog. I, I watched the remake once, and I still watch the original. Um, <laughs> but then Escape from New York, like Dean Cundey, I think was was one of his go to guys who is just an amazing cinematographer, and you can really he's he was in his element because I think he they had all these city blocks to just work with and light yeah, with yeah. fires and and candlelight, and it just pops. It, just it works. has yeah, yeah it works. There's nothing odd about it. I guess the bridge scene they said was on a bridge outside of St. Louis that was just they remember night shoots, mosquitoes everywhere. It was a miserable place to shoot. But it has that that vibe. And then you drop in his score, which I think you could watch that movie and enjoy it, but the score, you know, brings yeah. it up a hundred percent. Makes it so much more intense. Yeah, it's oh it's God. the one score that every little throwaway I think works. Um, <laughs> there there's no I like the you know, I like the title cut, I like the end cut, I like the flying into the New York cut every just every Carpenter kind of musical interlude and that just works. Um, Kurt Russell's yeah the the absolute badass the remakes they were talking the one name I heard floated for it was Gerard Butler and yikes Carpenter had said it has to be and I believe it has to be an American hero so it's one of the James Bond should be British I get it I think Snake Plissken should be American. Um, Oh he wrote it in he wrote it around the time of the Nixon administration so there was kind of a dour sense of politics and backstabbing and all this yeah, and yeah. the studios didn't make it and it was shelved and they brought it back out around the hostage crisis and Ronald Reagan and this idea that Snake you know is, is somebody sent, being sent in to solve a problem nobody else can do mm-hmm. and that's I think where the studios got interest but there wasn't any desire to cast Kurt Russell in the role he was a Disney kid he was Elvis up until that point but he was not any kind of tough guy and I think it's the you know I think that role is probably his favorite it it made him the yeah it ch- totally changed his trajectory. It made him a cold icon. Yeah, I think he. I think well, he, he had you know big trouble in Little China after you know, thing. Yeah, the yeah. thing. The yeah. yeah. thing. Well, I yeah. think I, he'll probably do anything with. I think he'd work with John Carpenter on anything. But they're I, one of my favorite director actor. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I love them. But I I think even he says Snake is his favorite part. Yeah. Um, Escape from L.A., I think uh, it's got its pluses and minuses. We can talk about that. Escape from Earth I, I was the third script that Carpenter was going to do in the trilogy. Kurt Russell, they were ready to roll. Um, it never got made. Then the studios decided, no, we're not going to make it. We're going to go back to rebooting the idea. But I would love, that's to me is the holy grail. I'd love to read that story because it takes place right after Escape from L.A. ends. So it's kind of a Mad Max-ish vibe. Yes. Yeah. And there's a, you know. The rich one percent are getting on a rocket ship to go to some space station, and Pliskin's going to get on board and get. So it's that kind of, and Fuck I thought yeah. that's awesome. Uh, that's if if that's right. That's but that's I've never read it. I'd love to get a hold of that script. Um, we could talk about the the French Luc Besson ripoff that the Carpenter sued him Lockout, yeah. that they oh, yeah. basically mm-hmm. was just completely. We'll do Escape from New York, but we'll French it, make it a French movie, or what? Uh, that's probably. Yeah. But it was to the point where they felt it was we're suing it, and they settled out of court, but. The bit I saw of it, I was like, yeah, okay. It's Snake Plissken in a prison barge or something, I think, is <laughs> yeah, what this is. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people have, have uh, you know, it has a lot of imitations, but I still think the original is, is you know, for a movie that was probably filmed in, what, 79? 
you know, that was probably production was yeah. seventy nine eighty. Yeah, it still rocks. Oh yeah, yeah, stands the test of time for sure. And it makes sense that a movie, you know, this movie would have a New York that's been just decimated by crime because in the seventies, New York City was the most dangerous place in America. Yeah, yeah. Like you look at a film like Taxi Driver, like that shows the nitty gritty, no, dirty, uh, like seventy, you know, later in the seventies, yeah. Warriors, yeah. Warriors, yeah. Yeah. just yeah. what New York looked. It was gross. It was the world of you know. Taxi driver, villainy. Very, very that, that's kind of the yeah. vibe, yeah. Yeah. So to have the idea that it got so bad that they literally just built a wall around Manhattan and turned it into a prison. Yeah, okay. <laughs> sure. I, it, was, it was easy to kind of, oh, yeah, I can go with this. I can yeah. go with this concept. Um, well, and again, the introduction, it doesn't, it doesn't allow you to question it. It's like, here you go. This is what happens. This is what's yeah. fucking happening in the movie. So get on board or get out. Yeah. But, uh, and I'm all in. <laughs> Carpenter is definitely a fan of strong women. I think Adrienne Barbeau uh, yeah. holds her own yes. with the male cast. Um, I like that she's the only female in the thing, which cracks me up. If you really kind of want to go for you know, obscure Carpenter trivia, she's the she's the voice on the chess game. So that's <laughs> that's how detailed you go. But um, yeah, he definitely uh, she does not play like a wallflower to anybody. She's extremely her death scene on the bridge is absolutely awesome. That was the last scene they shot. Apparently, that insert of her because they didn't have her dying. They they shot the footage all in St. Louis, and they realized, oh, we don't actually show her dead. Yeah, so they oh, did man. it in his garage. Wow, where that. they put her down, kind of put some fake blood around, I think, and and you see it. It's real quick on the screen. Yeah, but that was literally the last piece of film that they did on the movie. That's why I like how how abrupt that that is. That mm-hmm. she just yeah, she just gets mauled and then, right. and then it's over. You know, she dies. You move on. It's crazy. My favorite part in the movie is when you think the Duke is gonna get Snake, that the government like abandoned Snake. Yeah. And the president shows up with a gun, shoots the Duke. It's <laughs> like you're a number one, getting his back, getting his revenge. <laughs> Well, Fuck even yeah, the, the Isaac Hayes, you know, what did I teach you? Just that kind of like, <laughs> yeah, can you? So can't hear you don't you. even know what the backstory is on that, but it's like, Christ, what the hell's this guy been going through? You know, for the last hours that he's been kidnapped by these people. So it's just, a, it's absolutely kind of, a, you know, it, yeah, the bits of dialogue that that's uh, never fade. Uh, call me Snake, and just his oh, whole attitude. Man. He does yeah. his whole "you got to smoke" thing. Yes, yeah, that's Straight out of Assault 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 Assault. Yeah. right. Um, it's there's so much little. It's, it's one of those that yeah I've, I've like I said I, I can't remember how many times I've seen it. It never I never lose kind of track of it. It's you know and it's always fresh when I put it on and rewatch it yes. again. Yeah. Yes, totally. So let's talk a bit about uh, production and the um, the cast and crew. Obviously, we know John Carpenter what he's done. So after Escape from New York, Carpenter did the thing with Kurt Russell again. Big Trouble in Little China with Kurt Russell again. Later on, he did They Live, another classic of the 80s, Roddy Piper. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he gets his... I mean, Carpenter, I'm, I'm butchering this, but he had said, um, in France, I'm a filmmaker. In Germany, I'm a journeyman. In the U.S., I'm a hack. And that's kind of sad, but it, there is something to that. A lot of his movies uh, do not have stellar box office numbers. Um, no. They come out, they fade. I think even Kurt Russell was like, it takes about 10 years for people to kind of catch up. And there is some truth to that because I think every one of his films that have stood the test of time you know, found their audience later, didn't find it. It wasn't a weekend, you know. He's just not that kind of a filmmaker. Yeah, very true. It's a shame. I think that if this guy had been box office successful, he would be counted amongst like Spielberg and like 
the greats these days. I kind of do. I kind of do. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I kind of put him up there. I mean, he's one of my go-to guys, primarily as a writer. Um, and I think I, I've done some work at Troublemaker Studios, and there is that Rodriguez connection, but there is a kinship. You can see that the idea of uh, Rodriguez likes to do his own, you know, film scores and, and as much, you know, edits and writes and directs. Um, he, John Carpenter, I think, probably would be his considered his favorite director. I can see that. I remember, I mean, even they wanted, he wanted, uh, they tried to get Carpenter to do the music for Grindhouse, but he passed. Uh, they wanted to get Mickey Rourke to play the, the bad guy in Death Proof, but he passed, and they ended up getting Kurt Russell. And so there's, he, you know, the idea that he played uh, Escape from New York on set in Grindhouse. So he, he just has an affinity for the guy. Um, but I think Kurt, uh, John Carpenter always seemed to struggle with studios. Even, I think, I would, his biggest probably studio production is The Thing. And it tanked because it came out two weeks after E.T. was released. Yes, so, yes. You know, but it's definitely gone on to be, I mean, they still show it every winter at McMurtle, you know, based in Antarctica. It's how it's they one start of the their winter off. movies of all time. I, yeah. and I love that, that even the, you know, the scientists in Antarctica are like, yeah, this is the, this, this <laughs> is the go-to. Yeah. And I've, I saw the, the reboot or whatever you want to call it, and it was good, but I still go back to the it's original. It's fine, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm with you. And that's how I feel about every... Some of them are, were bombs, but I have yet to see one that that surpassed the movie that he did. It ain't, you know? it ain't happening. Well, <laughs> the only one that came kind of close was Halloween, and even that didn't didn't quite hit. It. Well, and, and part of the reason I loved the 2018 Halloween was because of the homage to him. Yeah, the, the music and you know all. He that. came back to do the music, like he yeah. was involved with exactly. his sons. Yeah, they yeah. did it. So that, that, that's big, and, and I'm, it makes me really excited for you know Halloween Kills and the stuff in the future. Yeah. Maybe maybe if things are in the right hands, people who care and take care of it, it can be done correctly. Maybe it's time. Maybe finally people are realizing that the there is a way to do Carpenter, but you got to do it right. Yeah. Like I, I know that what the uh, Big Trouble in Little China is in the pipeline with the Rock doing it, and <laughs> yeah. there was such a blowback. People were like, "Don't screw it up." and or just leave it alone because it's just one of those where they just leave it and Escape yeah. from New York's the same how many times it's been up through the studio pipeline to reboot it with different writers and directors and cast members is just and I don't know I honestly why they just don't let him do the third one in the trilogy is beyond me but I think it's it's studio decision making but you know that goes all the way back to yeah Kurt Russell's too he's Elvis he's not a tough guy what are you trying to cast him and, and Carpenter stood up for him and you know I think him and Deborah Hill just were smart. They're, they're the quintessential kind of producer, writer, director, producer partnership at that time. I think uh, Escape is an MGM film, but it was Avco. Avco produced uh, The Fog for them and Escape from New York. I mean, he was kind of, he's one of the quintessential independent directors in a weird way that he just um, is, he idolized Howard Hawks. And you can watch Rio Bravo and see Assault in Precinct 13, Goes to Mars from that. You watch, I mean, the, you know, Howard Hawks did a thing from Another World. You yeah. even see that in the original Halloween. The kids are watching that when, you know, uh, on Halloween night. That's the, the horror movie that's on, this, on television. To, so to have him years later go and actually remake the thing. The, entrant, the entry to the thing is still the, you know, the, the graphic when the, the word comes up yeah. is taken directly from the Howard Hawk, Hawks movie. So he, he always tends to, strong women, you know, um, kind of... Uh, you can just see a lot of connections and the idea that Howard Hawks would jump genres too I think Carpenter uh, has an affinity for that he he is not just a one trick pony he's kind of bounces all around so that's that's probably one of the reasons why he's just one of those guys that I'll 
give a nod to or an homage to in different works and things I'm doing because I just his work is still one of those guys that I go back to all the time oh hell yeah <laughs> his stuff is so intense and entertaining just repeatedly that it just gets better with every viewing you, you get lost in his work it's really cool well it's when I it's when I as a, as a kid all this Carpenter stuff I, mainly this and Assault I feel is what I I envision an action movie to be it's what I want as as yeah. I can't quite put my finger on that before I see it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But once I see it, I'm like, oh, there you go. There is. And I think people in Germany and France saying that those things, because they're not used to fluff in, in Europe with their films. It's a lot more quick paced, you know, and I'm fucking around. That's what Carpenter's all about. And that's, I, I'm not really used to that growing up, uh, you know, in the 2000s and, uh, you know, 2010s. Our action movies are just, there's a lot a lot more obvious obvious studio decisions and yeah. this guy just you know when well, it's all based on weekend numbers you got yeah, exactly. you got two days to make exactly. it or not and uh, the about his films is they never fade or people keep going back to them that's why I'll have seven different versions of it not because I'm a collector or something it's because oh I want I like it when they clean it up and and yeah, kind of, yeah. And, but it is one of those where I don't feel like I'm buying something for the sake of like I want it it's not just buying it for a collection or something it's like oh yeah I want to see the best version Yeah. when they they re-released the thing and cleaned it up it was like wow just to see it Mm -hmm. on the screen again like that so his movies still have that effect because I think it's strong writing um, strong directing strong casting he he would just go back I don't think he'd allow other people that's why his name's on the top John Carpenter John Carpenter's Fog John Carpenter's Escape from New York you know I do think he now I I got the vibe and that he's a very open director I think he allows actors to kind of take what's on the page and mm-hmm. make them three-dimensional he's not say it this way put the comma here this is the way I think he, he, he allows for give and smoke take smoke that cigarette how you prefer to smoke right it. Yeah, and, yeah. and make that character your own and that's why I think a lot of the actors and crew stay with you can see yeah. if you you know they stayed with them and, and directors who are prima donnas and stuff don't have that mm-hmm. and he clearly had uh, a group of people that you know would want to work on anything. They bought doing. in, yeah. yeah. Well, they were like, "Hey, ten years from now, this will be a hit." <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm just trying to think of going back to Escape from New York. Just other a season, Hubley, like a, both of the Kurt Russell and John Carpenter's ex-wives were in. Uh, John Carpenter was married to Adrienne Barbeau, right? Mm-hmm. And she's yeah. in it. And then that's Kurt Russell's wife, or was Kurt Russell's wife. I never understood why she got a special appearance by in the credits. I always thought that was kind of, because I thought, well, I've never seen her in anything again, or she was a model or something, but I don't know if that was in the contract. But when you watch the opening credits, it's like special appearance by Season Hubbley, and I'm like, oh, yeah, she's the woman in the chock full of nuts that gets pulled in the floor. <laughs> but it was just like, I guess, yeah, she was Kurt Russell's wife at the time, but they put her in, in the movie. Um, and she does a great job, but it was... You know, you look at that. I look at that cast and think of the credit roll, and it's like that. Everybody, just everybody shines. It's it's probably, you know. I think for me, the biggest surprise is Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, we haven't really talked about him at all, and he was awesome in it. The idea of this cab driver still driving the same cab after the world goes <laughs> like, to hell. What did he do to get thrown in here? I think he just stayed. He never left. That was my vibe. That he, when they turned into a prison, he just this is my home. This is where I live. So well, it's kind of like Morgan Freeman in a Shawshank when he's like. This is my. This is what I know. It's my home. The world kind of world went the hell around him, and he just yeah. still kind of went and goes to the theater and hangs out. And the idea that Broadway is a hellhole, I love that. And, um, you know, no man's land. Um, it just there's so many. I, I mean, just as I'm, we're talking about it, I'm thinking about it. There's just so much that I can go back to that. Just the outfits, the cast, the costume design on that is awesome. Oh, uh, and they didn't probably didn't have a lot of because 
like you said, it was a six million dollar budget or something. Even which they probably spent a lot on traveling to St. Louis and whatnot. Yeah. Well, just getting the town. So they, he took shortcuts, but he was like, "All right, we're going to do two days in in New York, and then we'll do the rest." And you know, he was always able. To, he didn't have to solve the problem by spraying the money hose. He would figure out ways of solving the problem creatively. Yeah. And it's it still holds up. That was, I mean, this was pre digital effects, so those were matte paintings. That you, when you see the uh, skyline of New York. They were drawn on glass, and then they'd set the camera up. I mean, really old school techniques to kind of get the point across. They would be. I think there's a there's a scene where the helicopter's landing, and all the prisoners are they have the briefcase. So there's no tape inside, but they're like waving the helicopter down, and the helicopter lands, and you see the New York skyline behind it. And they shot it. It was an empty field with these guys waving it down, and then in between the camera and the scene is a piece of glass with the city drawn on it. Wow! And so that's what's reflected. Uh, that's what we see as we see the city in the background. That's incredible. That wasn't there. I love those kind of shortcuts. That's fucking filmmaking. The idea. I think they had two helicopters, but they would just repaint the number on the side so it looked like it was a fleet. So here's seven. This is ten. This is two. I love that of ways of, of kind of stretching the dollar. Um, and the, the old school effects like that hold up because when you look at the like uh, CGI effects in in Escape from LA, that if George Lucas can go back and retool his movies all the time, they should let Carpenter go back and because the if, CGI effects in that one have a PlayStation One vibe <laughs> yeah. to them, but or two, but it's they don't hold up. Where the effects from the movie in the '80s kind of I buy them. You know, I never once think that's not New York. It's like oh, that's New York, and they were, you know, they were filming that in California. So it's just things like that are amazing to me. Um, the effects in Escape from L.A., I was reading into it. The guys who did that, it was their first time doing a movie. And they weren't entirely sure what to do. Wow. So they just kind of winged it. And this is what they ended up with. It's not bad, but it clearly says this is a, a fake effect. Yeah. From the yeah, submarine to the... Uh, we can go on and on about it. But yeah, the, they just they, the helicopter, it just looks off. Where I can rewatch Escape from New York and it doesn't look off. It's yeah. still, and this was done you know, in 1979, 1980. So that's amazing that those, are, and you got to give James Cameron of all that, you know, one of his first jobs at New World um, props for a lot of the. But he's always been ahead of his time with digital effects. Yeah, for sure. And uh, the throwback to the Roger Corman way of, of you know, we'll figure out a solve, we'll, there's a way to solve the problem. Uh, and I love that that's how they, they did that. Like the idea of just getting city blocks that were burned out from a fire in St. Louis and then doing whatever the hell they wanted to with these these blocks that they're shipping a plane in. Little things like that that just, it's like, oh, this is how we'll get around this. Mm-hmm. We can't afford to have a plane crash. So yeah. we'll kind of <laughs> fake it. And you as the audience member never kind of, you know, you don't, I, I didn't, I, I completely buy into it. So we're still just looking into the camera. That's yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> we're into it. At that point, we're like, yeah, okay, yeah. this is badass. <laughs> of course. So cool. It grossed about $25 million at the box office, so it was a commercial success, critical success. But later on, Escape from L.A. kind of killed that success. Well, and that's, I think, because Escape from L.A. didn't do as well, he didn't get to do Escape from Earth. And I, I know they were ready to do it. And then Deborah Hill died, then Carpenter kind of left the industry. Yeah, and um, it's one of those where I don't know. I'd love to see if they did like an animated version of it or something, since the script exists, just to wrap up the trilogy. I think you'd probably get Kurt Russell to the voice and that would that would be awesome, you know. That'd so be cool. there's yeah. no way there's no to me there's not a reason why that one is just sitting on a shelf somewhere. It doesn't it needs to get made just because I'd love to see what their idea was to wrap up the trilogy. And I like you know, again, I remember Escape from LA getting bombed when it came out, or people like, that's stupid and then 
you know, some people that as soon as the surf scene happened, they were out. <laughs> but um, I think it's grown in stat, you know, people have embraced it more over the years, which again goes to a lot of his work is like that. Um, they Live is probably a great example of a movie that came out that didn't seem to connect with an audience at the time that's only gotten better. Yeah. And uh, I think it's even transcend now cult status to just people, oh yeah, that's a hit. You know, <laughs> um, Roddy Piper in that movie was just as, it was, again, ca why you're casting a wrestler in this part? That what? And it's <laughs> he's iconic. And he was an absolute iconic in that and just killed him and David Keith. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, there's so, you can really go down all kinds of different, you know, talking different Carpenter movies that are just it's he's one of those directors like that I put up there with you know like you were saying Spielberg and these guys but to me it's like Carpenter Romero these were the guys that that I look to as well okay they made films but they made films not by going to the studio and getting as much money as they could by getting a budget and, and maximizing squeezing every dollar they could out of it and making it work and they still those are the movies that still hold up yeah I think yeah. I think for our generation like people our age uh, I think Tarantino is big in kind of reviving and helping Carpenter obviously he has a huge respect for him and that's, that's big for me as a kid if I'm 14 I'm like well if Tarantino likes it then I should probably check it out yeah Tarantino I think is the go-to for for classic cinema and you know there a lot of the people that he'll bring back to that the uh, younger generation wouldn't have any idea who exactly, they were exactly yeah um yeah he's, he's kind totally, of teaching us yeah i can totally iconic connection to carpenter you can we can really mm -hmm. see that i think he him and rodriguez both think yes, yes are just big big fans i mean that was the i mean in death proof in the bar you got oh wait, jack burton's tank top yeah the <laughs> yeah, bar. yeah. The stuff like that, all kinds of little nods to it. So cool. And I think even when they when they announced that Snake Plus or that Kurt Russell was going to be the lead in Death Proof, yeah. mm -hmm. this this picture they showed was him as Snake Plus. Yes, of the, course. Like yeah, it's the yeah, most yeah. iconic. Surprise! Iconic that's not his IMDb photo. <laughs> so cool, man. Uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the plot. Yeah, uh, we open in. Uh, in 1988, a 400% increase in crime. U.S. has turned Manhattan into a maximum security prison. 50-foot wall surrounds the island. All the bridges are loaded with landmines, and there is no escape. It's a life sentence. Love that that's Jamie Lee Curtis, too, that's saying all that, yeah. which is awesome, because she's not credited at all in the movie, so clearly it was, she, yeah, I'll come in and do it, probably yeah, a, a, a day of a voiceover. Out, it's like John Larroquette in Texas Chainsaw. It's like, what? Why that just? Why would he do the voiceover? And it's like, I think it was just, I'll do a favor for a friend, which goes back to the whole yeah, Carpenter has. A couple years people. ago, he, he kind of helped me out with Halloween, so. <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of like... Uh, yeah, sure, I'll do anything for you. Come down for a yeah. weekend and record it. If it's it. his vision, then sure, yeah. But, but it was, it, and I'm glad, I like that they continued that she's, you know, she starts off Escape from L.A. too, so it yeah. was an yes. idea of, of building of the world. This is how we're going to build this world. And if they did Escape from Earth, it would probably be the same thing. She would bring us in the intro. So it's a cons it's a consistency of, of how those kind of scripts roll together. Um, the continuity is really cool. Yeah. 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 And I love all the throwaway lines about, like, like you mentioned in Escape from L.A., New Vegas, Thailand. Yeah, that's an awesome Things one. like that. Like this whole world of just crazy shit. Because it's easy to kind of then take, you know, just run with that concept of like, yeah, I could see the U.S. taking over Thailand and making it an adult Las Vegas. So that, yeah, that's not far-fetched. It's just, sure, okay, I, I, I roll with that. And that's where Carpenter's really good at, at and his screenwriters um, are really good at kind of toying with that, playing with that. I had seen, uh, I, I own it, a copy of uh, John Carpenter's Creature from the Black Lagoon. I guess he was going to do that at one time. And I remember scooping it up and reading it. The same guy that wrote The Thing wrote it. 
Um, I'm blanking on the writer, which is sad, but it's the same screenwriter. And then um, when I read it, I think it never got made, but it, it the film Anaconda, I think, took a lot from that script. So it was funny how that concept did kind of show up. But, yeah, that was one that, that um, Carpenter was going to do. Bill Lancaster? Bill Lancaster. Bill Lancaster. Damn, that would have been neat, but that's kind of the thing with him, like, You'd think after getting so many eventual hits, after people realized Escape from New York and The Thing and Halloween and these movies weren't going away, that he would have gotten a little bit more leeway from the studios. Uh, what have you done for me lately? It's sad. That's kind of the vibe. And it wouldn't matter. Yeah, to me, he's like an absolute icon. And he would still have to go trolling for dollars and, and, and press some studio executive who wasn't even born when Halloween came out, this kind of stuff. So it, it's sad, but that's what he would have to do. I think he just got tired of it. It's like, hell, I don't want to do this anymore. fucking hard to make movies, man. Yeah. Well, he was like, I'd rather just play video games and hang out and smoke. And that's really what he's, what, you know, he was perfectly fine doing that. Is that, you know, yeah, sure. I look at the guy as like, hell, he's done enough. I'm cool. If he doesn't want to make another movie again, I can live with that. If he'd rather just do his music. Totally get it, but there is kind of a. I would wonder what like a new Carpenter film would be, or if he oh picked a genre like what he would do, and if he could do anything he wanted. What you know, would he do the third Escape, or would he do something? You know, what would be another Carpenter movie that he would do? Would he remake or what? That'd be awesome to see. Well, I would hope that he would get some kind of a spark back, and not we wouldn't just get another like leggy blonde movie that completely disappears like Ghost of Mars or The Ward uh, Ghost of Mars it, yeah it's a, it's a Saul from Precinct 13 again in space that's it but <laughs> and it does it I don't know it's it's another one of those where it's weird it's just as the time goes on I I dismissed it when it came out like ah oh, this is stupid but I like it, it seems to it's it's growing on me. Vampires is one where I'll, I'll admit I thought it was miscast I thought James Woods just I was like what and then the one Baldwin brother that you're like, what? So I just, it was, it, it's like that script was probably awesome, but I actually didn't, some of the casting kind of didn't work for me, but I've rewatched it. It's got a great supporting cast in that. And it's, it's got a, there's, there's moments that I really like, but um, yeah, it's, it's some of his, la I can see where, you know, I was, I'm not a giant fan of Prince of Darkness, but there are people who that's their favorite uh, in the mouth of madness or people. That's the one that they point to. And I'm like, I'm, I still kind of go back to, I think, The Fog, The Fog, The Thing, Escape from New York, Halloween, They Live, that are kind of my, like, uh, you can, they can be constant rotation and I'll never get bored with them. <laughs> totally, man. And the plot in this movie, basically the main MacGuffin is this tape that the president has on him that is, kind of gives, like, the, uh, the plan to de-escalate a growing threat of nuclear war with the Soviet Union. Which of course that's always that always comes up in every like movie almost every movie in the seventies and eighties that deals with some kind of apocalypse or the a or action it's always well, yeah, cold war yeah and I mean what China and the Soviet Union will go back home that's the whole kind yeah. of like he's got to get this but yeah everything was was you know this was uh, the day after nuclear war was kind of just over not over everybody's head but it was there you know as a possibility and uh, so yeah it, it was definitely playing with the the monster of the of the moment. <laughs> And Air Force One gets hijacked by a terrorist, and the president is equipped with a tracking bracelet. He's handcuffed to this briefcase that describes the 
secret to nuclear fusion. And people have said, "Is okay, is there really a pod, escape pod on Air Force One? And I remember <laughs> even the Air Force One, our Air Force... Um, this Harrison Ford movie kind yeah. of toyed with that of get him in the escape pod, but I don't think there is one like realistically, but I think that's one of those where we're not going to confirm or deny yeah. vibe, but Just it is it to me, it's like, how are we going to get him? I'll have him put in an escape pod. I like the idea of it's like jettison him out in this little dome where he's <laughs> the gonna, president, the, the concept like, Oh, if that falls to the earth, he's going to be fine in that. Like, yeah. All right. That Can makes you imagine sense. President Trump in a, in a, like a round ball <laughs> kind of dropping from sky. Yeah. That's, he's going to be, he's going to be fine. That's and there's great. only one guy, there's one seat. So it's like one parachute. That's it. Yeah. Ah, uh, screw the rest of you. Well, yeah. So just that whole idea of like the secret story. Oh, you're all going down. All the press corps. Yep. Hell with you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, President Pleasance crash lands in New York City and is immediately captured by the Duke of New York. He's a number one. He's yep. the guy who runs New York City. And his right-hand man, Romero, goes to talk to the uh, the soldier sent in to get the president and says... Well, and that even look at, at Frank Doubleday with that, because I'm sure on page, it's a couple lines yeah. for that, that role. That's it. And he <laughs> yeah. killed it. And just just his, his um, mannerisms, his... his when he hisses at the guy and that wasn't in the script I, I know he just did that as that character and it it was riveting so what he was able to do with a part that and that's where I love where they'll take okay here's my part and then they'll get an actor who will just make that part come to life and I can't and he sets it Kurt Russell had said he sets the tone and it's true I mean when you see that guy come out of the fog or come out of the night and walks up with the finger kind of wrapped in the th you're like oh Jesus what the hell is beyond that this is the guy yeah. who else is in this place so it really just sets it up I love that it's the best introduction of a world through a character I can think of like one guy just walking up and it's like I gotta get everything about this place this is gonna be effing crazy now you know but I, and, and on page I'm sure it was Romero walks up said here's your dialogue that's it there wasn't a lot of the, and he to me Frank Doubleday uh, was the guy who just made that Roll, walk, and talk for a throwaway part, honestly, and that's yeah. He's plucked like right out of the Road Warrior in this world that is a city just completely forgotten by society. Yeah, it totally was a George Miller kind of character look. The design, his hair, um, when they're shooting the president, when they're doing target practice, and he comes up to him and he kind of like takes his hand over his hair for some no reason. I don't know why, but it was just a, a throwaway little, you know, uh, dressing the mannequins in wigs. And you're like, you don't know what this guy, who, what is his deal, but it's like, oh, you don't want to be captured by him. Is it what you're kind of walk away. Is. Oh, no. It's crazy. And the commissioner of New York City, I guess, uh, Bob Hawk, that's Lee Van Cleef, says there's only one man who can save the president, and it's Snake Plissken. It's former special forces, recently convicted attempting to rob the Federal Reserve. He's about to be thrown into New York City as a prisoner. Well, what you got Charles Cypress, who's the Secretary of State, and yeah. he's like, we'll send our team in, and he's like, oh, I got this idea. So I think Lee Van Cleef, the idea is they got this guy, and they're like, all right, I'm going to lean on him. And then it really is kind of a Clint Eastwood Leone vibe between I mean, the two. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be thrown into prison anyway. Might as well give it a shot. But if you watch, I mean, because um, I think at the time, too, uh, Lee Van Cleef was, was probably... You know, Jesus, he was in High Noon. I mean, he goes all the yeah, way back. Yeah. He was, you know, he was one of those quintessential Western actors and then really shined in the Leone pictures because yeah. Leone loved his face. And, and Leone was very much wide shots and close-ups. And if you look at the, you know, he just is, those, he, his face, 
you can see the mileage on that guy, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think he was at, at, you know, this would have been, he was probably, I think he was a TV show where he did a Manimal or something. Where I remember he was like a guy who, this was like a crappy NBC show, but that was where Lee Van Cleef was at in the 80s. Where, oh. where like, I don't know why, he was like a ninja or something. I, I got to look it up. It was a crappy <laughs> 80s show. That's, but That sounds great. He really kind of came back <laughs> as, uh, like this role I think was, uh, that I can think of around the time. I don't think there was anything else like it. And to me, it was a throwback to what he did with the Leone pictures in the yeah. 60s. So He's the sheriff in town. Yeah, and he, but he played it. He, he, I bet he had a lot of fun on it. That was kind of the vibe I got where you could see him and, and Kurt Russell, just the connection, the way their back and forth played that I bet when they called. I don't know how many takes they would do of those scenes, but I bet they just had an absolute blast kind of just doing that dialogue and chewing it up. And it's such, like I said, throwaway kind of one, two words, kind of tough guy lines back and forth. And they both just hold their own when they're kind of, when he's interrogating them in the screen or in, the, in that scene. But uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's really awesome. One of my favorite throwaway lines at the beginning of this movie is when Snake's being brought into the into the like transitional area, and you hear the over the uh, intercom say like, "This you are now in New York City. If you would like to opt for immediate execution, please go to your left or something yeah. like that." And you just, what the fuck? Oh, I like when he's like just when he's like president of what, just kind of being a smart ass. Like, That's not funny, Pliskin. Things like that are just little things like that. But I just love that. Get a new president. Yeah, like. You know, something you don't give a shit about. You know, nuclear fusion, something you don't give a shit about. This kind of snake doesn't care about anything. And I guess I saw, it's on the, in the Blu-ray where he did a David Letterman type interview or something he was talking about, when, like on the press junket for the movie when it was released. And he's, he kind of saw him as, snake isn't really political. He doesn't care about anybody but himself and the mission. And everybody is kind of a means to an end. And that's how he kind of saw the character of just. But I don't know. I see him as, you know, and... and um, Carpenter, when he wrote it, said he didn't have anybody in mind, but he had a friend. He said, anybody who has a snake tattooed on him anywhere is, a, is my kind of hero. And so I always liked that, of, of trying to figure out who this guy was, Snake Plissken, like how the name came about and how that, you know, how he was on the page and written. And there wasn't a lot there. So you can tell that they really, the, the actors and directors probably just threw different ideas and concepts back and forth to, to make that character who he was. Yeah. I don't know. I think we, when you look at Snake's actions in this film and in Escape from L.A., he's forced to do all of this. You know, they inject him with a toxin and say, like, you're going to die in 24 hours unless you come back with the president. And I just, I see him as kind of a, almost like an anarchist. Just like, I'm going to fuck up the world because you keep fucking with me. But I like that even the, what, that idea you had about turning the Gulf Fire around and running off to Canada. <laughs> that kind of like, good creative kind of writing of yeah. keep him grounded. So, yeah, because trying to, Stay a couple of heads uh, ahead of the audience saying, well, why didn't he just leave if he's in a plane? You know, why did he fly away? And kind of setting him up. But also what classic Hitchcock put a ticking clock on, on the, in the movie. And that's what that, the injections in his neck kind of. But he also, uh, he doesn't come across as like a, a super, you know, I hate needles and stuff. And so he does make him human in a way. This tough guy who... You know, my favorite scene is, and I think Kurt Russell even talked about it, was when he just sat down. He's like, I don't know what the hell else to do. And he's kind of sitting in the wreckage with his life kind of ticking away, not knowing what to do next. And, and the, you know, the movie goes on. But the idea that the hero would just kind of have these moments, I think, to me, made him not a superhero or not a, made him grounded in reality. And I like that. So Snake, to me, is a real guy. Like, I never, he's not one of these 
You know, he's not Captain America. Yeah. No, yes. No. Well, at the end, when he rescues the president, the president's getting shaved and he's about to be on TV. And Snake's just like, I just want to know what you thought about the people who died to get yeah. you here. And he just gives a, you know, business card answer like, oh, well, I admire their sacrifice. Right, <laughs> without even looking at him. That was a great, yeah. just kind of the way they shot that. And then um, he just rips the tape apart. And he got to give a nod to American Bandstand. That was a clever piece of music and a great, you know, idea that it's playing in cabbie. It's the, they, he switches it. So Snake still is like a F you to everybody at the end. I love that. That's how the movie goes out. Great ending. Absolute classic ending. So cool. Over a John Carpenter score where he's like, fuck everybody. That's really kind of his, I don't care if the you know, nuclear war happens now. I got, I got your guy, but you're still, I'm still giving a screw you to everybody. I love that. That's just awesome. He does the same thing in Escape from L.A. when he blows up the, the world's new, like power. I think the beats are pretty much it, like, oh, yeah. you could probably lay I think I'd seen something where they laid the movies together and everything the, the beats are all almost identical they probably just kind of stayed different characters cabbies Steve even Buscemi, shot that in kind the of leg thing. like yeah. same deal same deal so there's it, it's a total fanboy throwback yeah. kind of thing but Cuervo Jones ain't no Duke of New York no he's his own guy I mean Isaac Hayes was one of those where he was like yeah let's do a sequel I know I'm dead but I'll come back kind of thing he was he was he considered it like one of his best roles and justifiably so he was absolutely awesome in it um, killer yeah wonderful so the deal is Snake gets sent into the into New York City he's got 24 hours to get the president and the tape back or else he's gonna be killed with these micro explosives they put in his arteries awesome use of the World Trade Center which yeah. you know yes. uh, yeah. probably one of the most iconic images of the World Trade Center in cinema I would think I mean I'm trying to think of other ones where you know pre not pre 9-11 kind of thing but mm-hmm. um, it, it just it's a sharp example of, of, of seeing a New York skyline that's no longer there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's a shame but the, I do like that that is the tallest point in New York City at the time. Mm-hmm. And it does make sense to land on there. And Brain figures that out. Like, he, he does yeah. like, the math. Like, it's the only place he could have landed. Right. I it's thought that was sharp. Really smart. The, the, the screenplay here really is, like, just perfect. It's, it, everything makes sense. Like, there's no plot holes at all. Well, and I like the idea that in Carpenter, you know, like I said, wrote it during the Nixon administration where there was really this distrust about government and the idea that... Yeah. And, it, and yeah. that thread really runs through... The movie where that the the good guys aren't the really the good guys and Snake is who is really the good guys even the bad guys in a way you know the, everybody's a shade of gray in the yeah. movie and I like that there's not white hats and black hats and that to me is Carpenter does that Romero does that a lot where it's it plays up you know realistic characters and I honestly think it, it's a it's a great writing tool if your characters are grounded in realism you can create any world around them and the audience will follow yes and I love that and a Carpenter's a great example of consistently doing that and it honestly it's where the remakes fall apart I, I think they lose that sense of they just want to re- oh we'll remake the fog but then you don't really care There's about no any of the characters right yeah, yeah. and the whole point is you've got to care about the characters because then you'll go along the journey with them and it's you know it's tra- when when they die in the, when brain gets blown up and then Maggie goes down and the characters start cabbie goes you feel something for these people yeah, yeah. where yeah. you don't in a lot of other movies I think no they're the they're supposed to be the bad guys too they're the criminals in New York City yeah, <laughs> yeah. but they go yeah. out of their way and to help Snake fit, save the president right well, that's like you're saying there's like no redeeming people <laughs> Well, he's a horrible president, basically. Yeah. So he's, yeah. a, you know, yeah. Donald Pleasance is a, yeah. I, just the idea that he, he's the only survivor of the crash. And then it is, it is kind of cool when he, he does the machine gun, the guy. But even then, he, you know, they know that, that the time code thing is ticking away on Pliskin and he stops him. 
And the, but the, again, Carpenter amps up the tension every step of the way. Yeah. I think he, he finally clears the things in his neck with three seconds to go or something. <laughs> but there, it, it is one of those where once you get going, I think, and that's probably why they cut out that beginning scene because they wanted to get to the action as fast as they could. Yeah. Uh, I honestly would love to see it. Uh, I like seeing the outtakes and I would have loved to have seen the, you know, Federal Reserve Depository robbery kind of thing and just yeah. the whole concept of an underground subway going from one coast to the other. I actually <laughs> think the best way to go about remaking this, which I, I don't want them to, but I think a like a, a TV show, like a mini series mm-hmm. where you could have separate episodes. Yeah. Kind of going in detail, like if you had a whole episode about a, like a heist, a bank robbery. Oh my God, that'd be brilliant, you know. They tried a comic book series. I got. I read a couple of them on like Snake Plissken. Yeah. They, they like took the idea of this world and, and expanded it. If New York's a prison, what's Ohio like? Yeah. What's every place else in the yeah, country like? Yeah. What's um, Chicago like? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's and uh, I, you know I don't I don't know if they've worked. They they seem to have had a run. I remember hearing about video games. They they were going to kind of expand play in the world, but. I don't know. It's one of those where he created this world and they've nobody's ever seemed to capitalize on it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that would be where the remake would go. But uh, I can only think it's gone through so many hands now oh that it's gosh, probably yeah. going to suck whatever yeah. comes out. Yeah, yeah. Whenever they finally release something, it'll be like, eh, okay. Yeah, and, yeah. and everybody will still watch the original. So I actually think it's kind of good they left out the bank robbery scene because I do like that from the get-go, you know nothing about Snake. You just know he's got a badass name. He <laughs> hates authority. And they're forcing him to save the president. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of get to know him as the movie goes along. And you, you, I think if you started out as seeing him rob a bank, seeing him like mourn his friend who gets shot, you'd know too much about him. Yeah. And okay. I, I just, I think this is better. Personally. You feel that way uh, also in uh, Assault on Precinct 13 where these are... Yeah, like, like Napoleon are, Wilson. You know yeah, nothing about that Literal guy. criminals. You just but, know where his loyalties lie yeah. in the moment. Give me a gun! Yeah. <laughs> well, that's... Uh, I, I mean, I... Probably go back to that one as much as, as Escape from New York because it's It's such my a, favorite, yeah. It's I, awesome. I, I fucking adore it, yeah. And it's such, it's so threadbare. I mean, and oh I think my, he did yeah. that after Dark Star, so he was still in his early 20s. I mean, it's, I think it was Deborah Hill's a script girl in that one. So yeah, they, yeah. She wasn't even producer. They just met. Um, he did it, it, you know, the cops are like friends from UCLA, his college friends. It was basically like, let's go make a movie, guys. Yes. Kind of vibe. <laughs> it kind of inspired me like, oh, I, I could do this, you know? Like, yeah. if I had the right people who are willing to work, you oh find my an God. empty building and a yeah. bunch of friends? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe Salt and Precinct 13. That, that honestly could be its own podcast because there's all kinds of stories of, you know, I can go down that of just like when the guys, when, the, when Austin, um, Austin Stoker's driving yeah. in and you can see the, uh, the other cars next where they're, peeking in because they've got clearly got a camera rig attached to the side of this car filming the guy and you got to imagine the cameras in the 70s where so it was this giant camera stuck to the side but you see people looking over like what are you guys doing over there kind of thing as the cars are going by but he had to use it they uh you know he was saying the the priest the police station on either side was downtown la or something and, and he kind of faked it where he only kept the camera so you see the police station and then when you you know you do another shot and that was somewhere in abandoned LA and they so it showed that this kind of so he built the idea that the station was out in the middle of nowhere even though it was surrounded by every everything I mean there's all kinds of things you can go with that <laughs> uh, yeah Napoleon Wilson I think is not only the coolest name but coolest villain and coolest yeah, yeah. I so wanted to hear see more of that guy mm-hmm. yeah, they're you know whole how it wraps up they walk out together the music yeah, you Brilliant. just do a whole <laughs> hour on that one alone easy yeah killer 
<laughs> we could do an hour on any of the carpenters. Yeah, you really can. Yeah. <laughs> He's amazing. There's so much fun to talk about. So, well, hell, yeah. the fight Roddy Piper and Keith David, <laughs> they live fight. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. South Park parody. The first one I remember when you know Timmy was fighting the, the yeah. that, like total parody of that. Yeah, uh, it's still considered, and they mapped that out themselves. You know, they were like, "Oh, this is how," because he was a wrestler, and they were like, "Let's." But I'm sure on the paper, on on the script, was a paragraph of they fight. Had no idea that it was going to be this iconic <laughs> kind of scene that that has been, you know, I think transcended. They live and. Ah, the makeup effects for the, you know, you can just do, you could do a podcast and just, just his makeup artist, Rob Bottin <laughs> yeah. and The Thing, and how horrible that went on set. And everybody thought, what the hell is this kind of blob <laughs> that he's spraying with KY Jelly? And I don't understand it. But the way they shot it, it, you know, held up much more than the remake CGI that yeah. they spent probably $25 million or whatever to mm-hmm. make, where that was Rob Bottin, you know, had done the effects work on, he, he was Blake in in the fog. He was the, you know, chief ghost. So that's how, you know, they worked on that. And then, um, but I, I remember all the guys in the thing were like, this ain't going to work because it looked horrible, you know, and they was like, let's put more slime on it or, or <laughs> put shadow on it, this and that. And, or they would be waiting on set. Like when is Rob going to show up with the monster? And then the whole idea of every other monster was a guy in a suit. Even alien was a guy in a suit, tall guy, but it was a guy in a suit where this was a completely blob morphic thing yeah. that still holds up to anything yeah. I think you can put up you know against so it's amazing and it's all just KY and Raspberry Jam well <laughs> and just uh, amazing sculptures but but it's a believable monster and that's again and he also throws back to believable characters you connect with every one of those guys he introduces what 10 guys right up front some of my favorite throw you know maybe we're at war with Norway favorite throwaway carpenter line <laughs> or when the guy's smoking and he's like I'll take you up He's like smoking a joint. He's like, ah, Evan Mac, I'll take you up. They're like, no, th- or screw you, Palmer. He's like, hey, thanks for thinking about it, though. I still say that. I randomly say that to people. Hey, thanks for thinking about it, though. That's a total carpenter line, you know. So his dialogue sticks with you. I mean, we're sticking an escape from from New York. Ah, it's just the the Bob Hauk, um, call me Snake. Uh, you know, they send in their best man. Yeah. We're going to send him out in the hood of my car from the neck up. That whole, Just all that stuff. It's awesome. I love everyone constantly saying, I thought you were dead. thought you were dead. Yeah. They, they carried that else. over. And that was also good, too. They didn't give you, they didn't take a lot of time, like you're saying, they cut the bank robbery up, but they didn't give him any backstory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all these, like, who this Frisco, who's Frisco Bob and all this stuff and how, what is his connection to Harry Dean Stanton? They were, ah, screw it. Goes right back you know, to Leone and the man with no name. Yeah, yeah they don't stop yeah, and yeah. tell you anything. They're just like, yeah, that's not the story we're going to tell. This is the story we're going to tell. Okay. And it allows you to kind of fill in the blanks if you want or not. But um, I like that, that that's a th- where they feel like they have to explain everything to the audience now. Carpenter was just like, you know, this is going to be a thrilling story. And will allow you to kind of come up with your backstory. He always did that, like yeah. with Halloween. Like he gives you, oh my god, he just tells you what Michael did. He doesn't tell you who he is. No, and that was you can go back yeah. to that was Rob Zombie's probably yeah. where he dropped the ball was mm-hmm. he made change the monster into some you know kid who lived in the trailer park and listened to heavy metal and that was yeah. kind of you know some 
Rob Zombie Kid, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. which is ridiculous. Yeah, that, that kind of characterization is, yeah. Where I, Carpenter kept him as the boogeyman. And mm-hmm. so, yes. some, you know, you can go back to less is more kind of vibe where. Yeah, we always say that, yeah. yeah. I mean, like Jaws. I mean, you go back yeah. to 1975. Yeah. <laughs> but that yeah, that was because the shark didn't work. Exactly. And so they well, worked like, around it. Yes, I and think that goes back to what you were saying with, with Carpenter is you adapt and you, yeah. you make the film. Yeah, you don't. And just the, the take filmmakers that around. we look at today are those are the guys who, who, and I always, you know, they don't solve the problem by spraying the money hose because they can't or then you get too many suits in the kitchen Words and then it, it just like, flies. Yeah, you get so many writers or so many suits yeah. telling you this is what you do. It loses that identity and then it just, it's nothing that sticks. Well, and you're, you're, car- you're carpenter. You, you have to have something as a creator to, to push you and challenge you. So you're like, fuck that. Yeah, I just want to, I, I know, he, he obviously knew what his vision was in his head. Yeah. And he was going to accomplish it with, with a certain amount of money no matter what. And I like that, I mean, I, you can't take away from Dean Cundy, who's his his uh, eye and cinematography mm-hmm. uh, skills yeah, just mean, pop mm-hmm. uh, in that. And you yeah. got to figure at the time too, the cameras they were there was uh, how was the Steadicam even invented? So I, you know, yeah. these were tracks and and things. I don't that were think laid they were down. using it yet because Kubrick is like one of the first guys to really On, get a yeah. hold of it with the Shining. With the Shining, and that's eighty. So I think if maybe it was or maybe, but I mean, so the setups were giant. Like the idea of video cameras and all that. None of that. It was all film and Super all uh, oh. giant lights, giant cameras. So the, having somebody like Dean Cundy kind of lead, you know, take the charge and, and build the world the way they did. I mean, because like I said, it was just a bombed out, you know, burnout section of St. Louis yeah. that they took over. There wasn't probably a lot of set dressing no. that they added to it. It was mainly put a fire here, put a fire there, and then let the shadows kind of play. They didn't bleach it out, so there's it's dark. St. Louis, another city, was known for violent crime and just yeah. gross. Well, the idea that I can't Cold imagine, gross, you know, yeah. Filming it in New York, they couldn't have afforded. They could, what were they going to do? So the idea of we're going to build a set, no. And so he worked around it. Oh, hey, let's do it out here. And I can't imagine there were many productions being shot in St. Louis. So no, yeah. you know, it was a, a creative way of solving a problem. Well, how are you going to do that on a budget? Oh, this is how you do it. In a budget. That is why I think his movies stand the test of time. A lot of that is is because he's he's just cre- he's a creative guy that won't allow. A situation to beat him because that's what was the big sci-fi movie in that time was Star Wars so you know what was the budget on that and so Escape from New York I think is just as you know stands the test of time it's science fiction um, but there wasn't I can't think of any other movies around that time that were like that other sci-fi movies that came out like Logan's Run I think Blade Runner still looks pretty cool Blade Runner looks awesome yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. this one he knows me I'm not a huge Star Wars guy when you for what they have, but this a is lot so of the science. If you're thinking of like science fiction in the '70s, '80s, a lot of that shit looks like it was made in the '70s and '80s on a yes, on a, yes, on a dime. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. this was a movie that was made on a low budget compared to other yeah. uh, other movies around it, and probably you know what's on the screen looks ten times more than what they spent. And yeah. I think that was having smart people behind the scenes and on camera, and um, allowing those people to bring their own skills to the table. Mm. If, you, if you're the kind of director who's comfortable with the material you're working with and allow the people around you to bring their best, they just make you look better. They make the whole picture look better. Yeah, and that's, I think, true. what he does. Yeah. Awesome, man. And it does, like, the way he filmed it, you, it feels and looks like New York City. Like, you never doubt for a second that he's not in a burned-out, apocalyptic... Filming on location. ...New yeah. York City that's been yeah. just decimated by crime. Yeah, no, I, it's... It's it's one of those where yeah it does like I think actually 
LA, Escape from LA looks more dated than Escape from New York. Yeah, for Very sure. Very true. For sure. <laughs> and that just comes back to, you know, practicality. Mm-hmm. So Snake goes into New York City, lands in the World Trade Center on a stealth glider. Great scene. Really smart. Oh, yeah. Really good score that goes oh, with yeah. that. Because um, figure that was New World Effects that were doing that. So they had, a, I don't know what the glider was, um, but... The, it's one of those where you take the music out and it, it's still visually stunning but yeah. the, the score just layers that and just mm-hmm. makes it pop yeah that's a gorgeous scene the score feels so much like a ticking clock like you just get the sense of urgency so much with that score it's well, like I'm playing a video game <laughs> yeah it's crazy and he I love that it was you know it's him and a couple of his friends like they they did uh, he's had different band names like the, they did a song in, in Big Trouble Little China him and his and Nick Castle and so, but he, it, it's just him and his pals that, that would do this and I think he said like going back to Assault Precinct 13 I think he did that in half an hour which is crazy that coming up with that but it's still it's you um, then Halloween but Escape from New York I think is such a layered synthesizer which again feels very 80s but for some crazy reason doesn't feel this movie doesn't feel 80s. It doesn't have no, that. No, it's timeless. Yeah, it, like I, and I think that's why when people still discover it, it stands out because it doesn't feel like it's a moment of time. Or again, going back to LA, LA, Escape from LA really feels like it is in the late 90s with the music choices that go around the score. But I think Carpenter was smart to keep it just that synthesizer score. The only other music that's in it is the Nick Castle yeah. Broadway song. Right? <laughs> that's it, I think. It's just, it's synthesizers. Which is a wonderful touch. So. Yeah. yeah, and that was something I guess he let Nick Castle do. Like, and, like, and like you see, this points out again, you just like let people use their talent and you yeah. like just kind of run with it. And he was uh, a big Broadway guy, so they were yeah. like, let's have these guys have a Broadway show. And it, yeah. it's just, that sounds crazy, but it really works. It works, yes. When that happens, and you're just these guys playing with any instruments they can get, and that the idea that, well, okay, yeah, some of New York yeah, prisoners would, this is how they would kill their time, pass yeah. their time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I, I buy it, you know? <laughs> and that's where Snake runs into Cabby, who's, you know, everybody recognizes Snake. Uh, there was, uh, there's a scene where, where Snake goes to the theater and goes down, and there's a woman getting raped, and yeah. that he ignores it. And that people had said, could that scene be shot today? And I go, probably, yeah, okay, I give them that. That's probably a dated scene. Probably not that they could get away with that. But then the idea that that was that happening, I'm sure, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that goes right back to you talking about great characters. That's not Snake's priority right now. He has to get the president to get out of there. I do. Okay, then when we're talking about that scene. You can't talk about the scene without mentioning Buck Flowers, who's a guy who um, he has the armband. Yeah. He's like, I knew I'd be president when I found this. And <laughs> yeah. he sings, Hail to the Hail to the Chief. Not <laughs> drunk. I love that guy. He was in the fog. He was in They Live. He was in Back to the Future as the bum. So he, he was. Just, he was Red. He was Fred. Yeah, I remember he, that. He kind of has this. He had this. But I think They Live. He actually plays not a bum. He play, He actually has lines and stuff. The fog he's in a little bit. But yeah, I just he, him, the guy with the boots, nice boots, Chief. And then these guys come out of the shadows and Snake beats him up. And he's like, I'm walking, Chief. I'm walking. I've stolen that line. I love that line. I'm walking, Chief. I'm walking. I just love that throwaway. So there are these little Carpenter moments that you that that stick but yeah I love that kind of basement scene <laughs> killer and after he finds the, the wristband he's convinced the president's dead so he tells Hawk like look this is a, he's gone <laughs> I, I can't find anything and Hawk's like if you don't come out of there with the president I yeah I'll burn you, you off the wall that's yeah. awesome and that's the yeah you're, you're going through this and that's where he sits down yeah. the idea he takes a, takes a beat he's like well I don't know what the fuck to do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of sits in the ruins and like what am I going to do and then 
the crazies come out. It kind of yeah. the plot takes them that way. Yes, he goes to chock full of nuts, meets that girl. Oh, another kind of cool trivia: the Mac Ten machine gun that he's carrying in that. Rodriguez copied that and put it in El Mariachi. So the the El Mariachi gun uh, is the same gun from Escape from New York. That's awesome. And sound effects and all that were, uh, but it's one of those where I think it's a modified Mac Ten. I think with the silencer. Yeah. But again, it has a kind of a futuristic vibe. But that gun does pop up in El Mariachi. Yeah. <laughs> That's Which so Rodriguez made for seven grand, so you know his first movie. So clearly he nods nod back to to Carpenter. So cool, and I love the scene with the girl in Chock Full of Nuts because she asks for a smoke and he gives her a pack of cigarettes and she's like, "Wow, these are real. You just got here." Put your hand over it, yeah, the light because the crazies. But even that, the idea of the people living in the in the sewers and the subways, you know, yeah. it's I uh, kind of what there was an eighties film called Chud. Uh, yeah. Why I remember, I remember the title more than the movie, but the idea of these underground dweller kind of things. Uh, that vibe I like that the crazies come out for food once a month or something and they head back down and the mongoloids heading in the sewers. Again, world building for nothing. They just had a couple extras running in the shadows. But take that and then you let your mind play with, wow, what is this whole world underground that we never see that's going on? And they drag this lady down to her death and it's just kind of, you know. But I love it that he, they paints that entire world with just a few throwaway extras and some fog smoke and a manhole cover that's it it's brilliant yeah it's awesome <laughs> Snake meets Cabby who gives him a ride away from the crazies Cabby tells him oh yeah if you want to know where the Duke is I'll take you to Brain he'll know everything well and then Cabby's like you know Eddie uh, wait till I tell Eddie Snake Plissken in my cab the idea plays <laughs> yeah, up that yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know that everybody knows who this guy Get is this. Yeah. yeah I can't believe you're like, he's a modern celebrity but you have no idea why so I guess he's like a Robin Hood kind of guy or is just yeah, they play with the idea that he's an ex-war hero World War, yeah. World War III world war hero that we went to war with the Soviet Union yeah. this kind of stuff so where he lost the eye right <laughs> and that's all just background info you kind of have to look up for yourself None of that's in the movie. And I'm sure that was just, again, fan base. I don't think that was in the script. No. They just, you know, people have taken that and branched off to kind of play in that world. And this is the world that, you know, yeah, I love that. <laughs> so cool. So Cabby takes Snake to Brain and Snake recognizes Brain as Harold Hellman, an old partner of his, and he has a confrontation with him. That's a great scene. Great scene. That's a little bit where you can see, really? Come on. He's actually going to find, you know, that's his old friend. But it, you buy it. I just, <laughs> I love Harry Dean Stanton as an actor. I mean, the man, it, it, that was one where when he died, it was like, ah, oh, but that guy had been in so many movies going, geez, I don't know how far back you go. Kelly's Heroes, uh, early yeah. role. I mean, but a long, lot of movies, uh, just iconic guy and plays that part they play off of each other really him Adrian Barbeau you know I'll spray his brains all over the map baby tell me where, where's the president that kind of just the whole yeah that that when the, I like good actors playing off of each other and yeah. you know with solid dialogue and you can kinda, see they're having fun with it kind of competing yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's just fun no they small just parts to small it. actors right and how everybody you know, there was the four actors kind of working together to make that scene pop and it does it, it really works yes it does <laughs> so cool and brain Tells Snake that the Duke is planning to lead an escape across the Queensboro Bridge using the President as a shield, and he's going to use this landmine map that Brain has drawn up that ends up being completely useless. That's a cool scene where it's like a train depot or something where yeah. they're holding the President. So, uh, again, taking what sets they had and then building around it, you know, okay, we'll make this. I'm sure they just came across it and were like, okay, we're not, let's use this because it's a cool location, a yeah. cool looking place. Um, that's where they go down Broadway. Awesome scene. 
why you know what the hell's wrong with Broadway? And then you see the heads on the spikes, and there's yeah. a whole another group of weirdos that control Broadway <laughs> for yeah. some reason. So every you get this idea that Manhattan's been diced up into little, so it has a prisoner vibe to it. But yeah. they're all just unseen extras, and that's what I like about it. It's just, but it's such huge, huge world building from just driving, you know, whole idea of of. Um, the Duke of New York's car has chandeliers on the front. Yeah. I love that. That's <laughs> such a throwaway, you know, set dressing. But you remember it. The yes. chandeliers yeah. shaking as the car's driving. That's just so cool. <laughs> so neat, man. And I so uh, Brain takes Snake to the train depot to get the president, and Snake goes in there like a goddamn ninja and just, like takes out one of the guys. The president's staring at him, and the other guy gets Snake in the leg with a crossbow. Which is crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Snake gets the guy and tells the president, I'm here, you know, move fast. And the president's like, God damn right, I'll move fast. He's just yeah, so yeah. scared. Well, and you got <laughs> Donald Pleasance gives it away because it's he's looking at Snake coming in, he's all freaking out. So yeah. I kinda like you know, you already you got the president kind of screwing it up. Yeah. And that's how Snake gets shot, yeah. <laughs> and Snake gets captured, forced to fight in a death match against Slag, that big wrestler dude. That's crazy. <laughs> we talked a bit about that. Brain and Maggie, they end up killing Romero and saving the president. And that's a crazy scene. Yeah, again, and those were those were scenes where um, the idea of yeah, sta- a staged fight in what what well, I guess is supposed to be Madison Square Garden. I mean, it yeah. is like a small gym, yeah. but that's yeah. where they're, you're taking it. The idea they've set that up there. Um, also, that it, I guess it was probably I don't know if the Road Warrior had come out already or not, but the dressing, the idea of the cast and the costumes for the background guys all the prisoners in new york is a little kind of it's a weird combo of like scarfs and bandana you know uh, it's a western vibe and it has this mad max-ish feel to it is it's I really just that. like whatever they could find because there's nothing i'm sure the costume yeah. designers were just like yeah put that you know one guy has a was wearing sunglasses with one lens missing and uh, you know asian guy who's the timekeeper or something has a bandana on but things like that you remember but i'm sure like that was Probably with just a big, they didn't. Ha- I can't imagine they had a giant costume budget, so it was just like yeah. let's throw this on, throw this on. But it does have a Mad Max vibe to it. All the yeah. uh, the prisoners and what oh, they're yeah. wearing, big time. It's so weird when when they go to get the president. Romero has the president like in a blonde wig. Yeah, I love that. Again, that's making that character his own. You I wonder, like, what was going on in there? And they don't play with this. Is he transgender? Is he gay? They kind of. I don't. I bet none of that was in the script. I got to give all that to either Carpenter or Frank Doubleday. Just making that character yeah. something that you remember. I mean, he's very memorable. Um, traded the tape with Cabby. Just he's a yeah. he's a distinct character that was probably not on the page. I'm just going. I go back to that. That I bet that's that's strictly actor just taking something and really running with it. I love that when you see Romero in Cabby's hat, my first thought is, oh, he killed Cabby and took that hat. <laughs> you never think like he actually made good he on the trade. Him. Yeah, I traded him for it. And I love that that comes up later and it's very important. Mm-hmm. Such a throwaway line because I think I, I, it had been a while since I saw that, saw the movie, and I was watching it. I thought, like, oh, Romero killed his ass. <laughs> so great. And uh, they go back to the World, Trainers, World Trade Center to escape in the glider, but one of those crazy dudes... They, they've been destroying it. They throw it off the roof. And Goddamn Redskins. That's yeah. a, and that's another like side gang that yeah. you'd imagine that like <laughs> that's their and they, you know, go up and just how they discover this. Or are they living in the World Trade Center? Or this, you know, this group that had heard him come down. And they went up and saw this glider hanging there. Why didn't they steal it? Yeah. But that's a cool visual of the glider kind of falling 
I love that they don't try to steal it. They immediately just go straight to trash it. Yeah, like there is no escape. Like, why would you bother? This is life now. Well, and the whole idea that the prisoners have been convinced that that the Duke of New York's gonna they're gonna all leave. He's gonna you know evacuate Manhattan Island with the president out in front, and he's like, yeah, you don't guys don't you know something. I I know something you and the Duke don't know. Kind of vibe. If we don't get this, you know, president can be worth a whole hell of a lot. Just I love that (laughs) whole concept. That just brilliant lines. (laughs) So cool. So they're like, what the hell do we do now? They go back to the street. They meet Cabby. He offers to take him across the bridge. And Great. There's a nod. Uh, to have to give a nod to Carpenter's score during that chase. The, the idea of them. I, it's a It just, that's over and over and over again. And with all the action going on, it just amps up all that whole scene. And that's all they're doing is just driving. It's. This guy, this group's in a cab. And then the Duke of New York's doing his eye twitch in his giant. Cadillac with the chandeliers on it, but it's that <laughs> just amps it up. Really rush, yeah, yeah, really gets you. <laughs> so cool. And that's when we realize Romero bartered with Cabby for the tape, and the president demands the tape. It takes like not so goddamn fast. I'm taking this tape. I don't know if that was a script choice. Having American Bandstand, I thought was great. Yeah. That's like the perfect song. Mm-hmm. It comes in at the end, but if you can think like what, because they what song they could have used. That was just great. It's just a great choice. Yeah. It's a perfect fuck you song. Yeah, it really is. That, and it, that's, I, I don't hear that now and don't think of Escape from New York. Like, it's just... So it, it kind of transcended the song in a way a bit. So cool. The Duke is pissed. He pursues them on the bridge in his caddy. And he's, they're setting off mines as he tries to catch up. And Brain starts guiding Cabby through the minefield. And I love that it... They hit a mine almost immediately. Well, that's... It, it, they hit a mine, but also it... I remember if you rewatch it enough, you realize, ah, oh, the map that Cabby has is wrong. He would have blown up anyway because he's trying to get him. The, this is the way the map goes, yeah, yeah. and he triggers a mine. So if they actually would have followed him, they all would have blown up. Yeah. The idea that they're just running away, and he's like, you're going the wrong way, and he goes the way the map goes, and it kills him. So the map was wrong. Yeah, so crazy. And they continue on foot. Brain gets killed by a mine, and Maggie, they have this emotional moment where Maggie's like, I'm not leaving him. And she takes a gun at the Duke's car. Great sound design with the gunshots on that. Yeah. Because that was, again, little things like that that a lot of movies don't take the time to. But I remember, I think of Alien. Uh, Aliens is like that too with the, the gun fire. Yeah. That I, it's a distinct gunshot. Indiana Jones has that too. Yeah, where they, they whoever was the sound designer on that took the time to like, hey, this is important. Yeah. And when she's just standing there with a pistol firing, I can hear that. But it doesn't sound like it's it's like a muffled kind of shot. But it's it's a it was great sound design on that. <laughs> Crazy. She gets run down by the Duke. Snake and the President reach the wall. The guards raise up the President first. Duke starts opening fire, killing the guards, and they stop the uh, cable for Snake. Awesome, uh, awesome cuts, quick cuts. The yeah. way they do that. You know, Station Seventeen. Why <laughs> I know that? That just shows like that's where they go. <laughs> so it's. Uh, but yeah, brilliant, and just brilliant tense scene. President guns down the Duke with his with an assault rifle, screaming, "You're a number one!" That That's awesome. So great, so satisfying. Yeah, savage. Like he was the right person to take down the Duke. And honestly, it's one of those where I mean, they could have cast anybody again. I think he wanted to bring back Donald Pleasance in a non Loomis role, which yeah. was cool. <laughs> Um, and I think once he, well, why me as the president? But yeah. it, it's kind of neat that in He's Carpenter's Brit, world, okay. Donald Pleasance would be the president. It's like, yeah, I buy it. <laughs> um, but it's an awesome, yeah. Like I can, he probably just that. I bet he did the part for that moment. 
<laughs> like I'll just I bet he was like alright do anything you want put a wig on me kick me around I don't care I just am looking forward to shooting the gun and yelling at Isaac Hayes on the bridge I bet he loved that because it's just a, you can see he just chews the scenery when, he, when he's doing that scene <laughs> so cool Snake gets lifted to safety and the micro explosives are neutralized after he gives the tape to Hawk with like three seconds to spare so goddamn tense. I don't know if medically that would work. I mean, if you're going to be like, would that work? But I love it. The idea of it slowly dissolving. Yeah. And, you know, want to connect it to a time clock. All right, I'll buy it. But it is one of those where like, really? It's one of but those future tech I love moments. It, but I love it. Yeah. It, you, you've totally, yeah. and just putting this, all right, we're done. Kind of that, <laughs> that takes care of it. But it, it works with it. It just amps the tension up and just a couple seconds left. Yeah. And then immediately the president starts getting a shave and taking care of putting a suit because he's got to give a speech to the leaders at the summit. And he thanks Snake for his service and says, anything you want, name it. And Snake just wants to know what he feels about Brain and Maggie and Cabby giving their lives. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, they were great. Thanks. Appreciate it. Watch Tom Atkins in that scene. He's in the background. He has no lines. But he really is like, because even Kurt Russell's kind of like, you know, just want to see how you feel about that. Just kind of like still playing it tough, but also like, you know, hey, a lot of people did die to yeah, get you here. Yeah, yeah. And Pleasance I mean, just kind of dismisses it. But it's Tom Atkins who, like, he walks away. and he, he it, Tom Atkins watches Snake Plissken walking away. And it's the you kind of see the, okay, the, the, the guys who were the cops are kind of on Snake's side. Like, it, it's, it's a, just a complete little throwaway. But I like what Tom Atkins – I remember that. It's memorable for me, what he does in that scene. That's great. <laughs> and it's true. After all this, the president's a piece of shit. He doesn't yeah. give a – yeah, he's – who cares about these lives? They're but that's what the capper is that he goes on ta- on camera yeah. and then, you know, I can't be there for this historical summit, but this tape nice. means, and then plays it in his American Bandstand. And that's one of the best <laughs> FU endings I can think of. Yes. And you just see Snake walking away, ripping the, ripping the tape up, Smoking the Love cigarette. Yeah. Well, and then the Lee Van Cleef, you know, we should, you should work with me. And he's like, call me, you know. Call me Pliskin. Call me Pliskin. Yeah, the name's Pliskin. Yeah. So that's what's awesome. The, yeah. yeah, the name's Pliskin. That's awesome. He's like, you know, we yeah. just, I can't remember the line, but he's like, I'll, I'll offer you a job. I got a job for you. You know, make a hell of a team. You right. Have. Yeah. And he's kind of very Western <laughs> vibe. And he's like, come, yeah, name's Pliskin and walks away. And then it's wonderful. Yeah. Then the Carpenter score. Uh, very, even you think of sci fi movies, you, you, the opening and closing credits, all it is is uh, what? White letters on a black screen. That's it. Yeah. Yep. And his score. And that's it. And it just it's immediately kills you. you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally gets you. And it's probably, you know, you look at. I don't know, think of, of movies where they, they go balls to the wall in opening credits, and this is just nothing. Very simple. Yeah. And it still stands out. It's, it's actual you credits. Know. You're immediately yeah. just like, all right, I'm in. His music can do that. It's amazing. There's, uh, trying to think, if you think of the credits, I mean, it's awesome. You've got um, Jim Cam- you know, James Cameron is Jim Cameron in the credits. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Jim Cameron. When I was watching uh, last night, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> John Deal is an actor who I remember from Miami Vice and stuff. He was one of these guys, but he's listed as punk. So I don't know if he was just like a, a background guy or something. He was really young, but I, he's an actor that I, I, I don't know why I think of Miami Vice when I think of him, but that's a guy that I remember. Um, Dick Warlock is one of his stunt coordinators. And Dick he, Warlock. We he's talked in it. about him a bit in yeah. Halloween. I love his name. He was the, I guess, Carpenter's stunt guy, uh, lead stunt guy in this one. Um, just, yeah, just stellar. It's a gem. It's a true, it is a gem. Yeah, it's a true gem. Fantastic. It's got an IMDb score of 7.2. That's ah, too low. Rotten Tomatoes score of 85%. Certified fresh. Yeah. And uh, personally, I give this film a 9 out of 10. I think it's fucking great. 
It is. I have a fr- I have friends who's like their their favorite movie is Lawrence of Arabia or The Godfather and all this. But it's funny how this is like when what's your favorite movie? I I tend to kind of go back to this one. Uh, I, you know, I, uh, Coen Brothers, Leone. I mean, there's there's a group of filmmakers whose work I can kind of put on at any time and just have in the background. Um, and Carpenter is one of them. And this is probably I probably go back to this film of his more than any of the other ones. I'll watch. Halloween around Halloween time and the thing is always a great, you know, to throw on, but Escape from New York, I'll find if I'm just in a good mood or something, I'll put it yeah. on. Yeah, it's one of those movies. Mm-hmm. It's short and sweet, it's only an hour and a half long, but yeah. it's so perfect. It's a gut punch, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a great, yeah, unbelievable, great It's watch. worth, if if you're a fan of this, it's worth printing out the script just to read, just to see it, how really lean it is. I think that I can't, can't go back to that enough, how it's, there's no meat, you know, the meat on the bone is real. It's just, it's it's a pared down piece of material. So for writers out there who put a lot of, of flowery language in paragraphs and stuff, it really shows a lot of white on the page and moves fast. I mean, that's really, if you're going to write an action script, that's how you really want to write it. You want to make sure that it's crisp, clean, and, and moves forward. Good tempo, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love if, you know, hell, track that script down, Escape from Earth. There's got to be a way to get a hold of it. I'd love to get a hold of it. It's still one of those things I'm, I'm out looking for because I just want to know how the story ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just curiosity. Yeah. Story. Just, I'd love to see it. it. Why it's not an animated film by now with Kurt Russell doing the voiceover is beyond me, man. It, it should be. Especially with all these streaming services, you would think that Netflix Somebody would jump on that. Yeah. These days, I feel like with the success of Halloween, I think we are going to get maybe a bit of Carpenter resurgence soon. And I hope Escape from New York gets put into that. The next, if you think about the remake list, the next one on the docket should be Big Trouble in Little China, which is going to bomb. But yeah. I, I, that's horrible. But yeah, it yeah. probably will. Because there's no way it's Jack Burton. It just can't. Uh, it, no. And they were even saying, it's not. we're not going to remake it. It's going to be a continuation of the story. And uh, I guess they have a comic book called Old Man Jack, which is doing okay. <laughs> that apparently looks at Jack Burton as a, as a you know, in his... So Kurt Russell could play him now as like a guy yeah. in the 60s. They're going to do a continuation. Just, yeah, do it That's that the way, way to do That'd it. That'd be pretty but, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I could see you doing that. And mm-hmm. um, I think Snake Plissken shows up in the Old Man Jack books, Old Man Burton books. So I think that's kind of funny. Uh, I, think, I, th- I think there's an audience for that too. Especially with, you know, Kurt Russell's proven he can still draw a box office to be playing the bad guy in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume yeah. 2. Yeah. So he's still a guy. Like still working, still still a badass. He could play Snake today. Mm-hmm. I'll bet it's a question he gets asked. And like if are are you ever gonna get a chance? And I'm sure it's legitimately like, asked. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. will the studio ever do it? I don't I don't know. I do think, yeah, Escape they consider Escape from LA a bomb. I think they consider Escape from New York a cult classic. Yeah. Is yeah. kind of where it's dismissed. A B movie, let's not pretend like it's anything more than that. It's like, well hell I like B movies. That's yeah. why, you know, I like it. I hold it up there. I think it's a classic exactly. B movie. So that's why we started this whole podcast because we love B movies. Yeah, it's awesome. So I find it's it's funny what, what the studios kind of look at as success or failure or not. And I, I don't know. But yeah, to me that that's one that's just screaming for a not a remake or a redo, but I'd Revisit, love to know. I'd love to know where that story goes, and they kind of left it where I yeah they should so wrap it up. I think it would be it, it, he earned he he earned it, deserves it, kind of thing. It would well, be maybe, smart to maybe go. in a twenty twenty one because it'll be exactly forty years. Maybe. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's amazing, right? That just makes me feel old. It's that old already. Like, Jesus. <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, I think that about wraps it up for Escape from New York. This has been a lot of fun. This was fun, guys. I really enjoyed it. It's it's a solid 9 out of 10 for me as well. Yeah, I I enjoy it so much. Uh, I don't know what I'd rate it as, but I'll watch it again. (laughs) I'm just like, yeah, I I watched it last night, and it's on the shelf, so I'm sure I'll watch it again. Yeah, absolutely. Never never goes away. Never fades. Exactly. (laughs) 
Well, we hope you enjoyed listening to this one. Uh, join us for Gremlins next week. And keep on trucking. We'll see you next Wednesday. See you Thanks, next guys. Time.